Good morning. Glad you're here. Please pray with me. Oh, Father, we thank you for the blessed occasion of the gathering of your people. And we thank you for the promise of your son that when we gather in his name, he'll be with us. Oh, Father, we're your children. Please lead us. We're your sheep, Father. Please feed us. Oh, Father, guard us and guide us lest we wander. As we embark upon this new year, we pray that your grace, your protection, your hand of sweet providence might be upon us. Oh, Father, use us for your glory. We exalt your Son, Jesus. We pray to you in his name. Amen. Well, beloved, as we often say, nothing new this morning. Just a reminder of some old truth as we commence a new year. Some old truth for a new year. Please open your Bibles to the book of the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 14. Ezekiel, chapter 14. Please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. The Bible says, Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me, and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their heart, and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me, through their idols. Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent, and turn yourselves from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For every one of the house of Israel, or of the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which separateth himself from me, and setteth up his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. And I will set my face against that man, and will make him a sign and a proverb. And I will cut him off from the midst of my people, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet be deceived when he hath spoken a thing, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand upon him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. And they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeketh unto him, that the house of Israel may go no more astray from me, neither be polluted any more with all their transgressions, 
but that they may be my people, and I may be their God, saith the Lord God. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and I will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should but deliver their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land, and they spoil it, so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beast, though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, they only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon that land and say, Sword, go through the land, so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. For thus saith the Lord God, how much more when I send my four sore judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword and the famine and the noisome beast and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. Yet, Behold, therein shall be left a remnant that shall be brought forth, both sons and daughters. Behold, they shall come forth unto you, and you shall see their way and their doings, and you shall be comforted concerning the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem, even concerning all that I have brought upon it. And they shall comfort you when you see their ways and their doings, and you shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done in it, saith the Lord God. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. You may be seated. Well, saints, in the passage we have before us this morning, we have what should be a corrective to some wrong thinking. Those of you that know me well know that I'm very concerned with the problem of wrong thinking. And I'm convinced that right thinking is one of the keys to, quote, successful, unquote, Christian living. We act wrong because we think wrong. And if our thinking were right, our living would be better. I believe that people's lives are lived first in their heads, that is, in their minds, and that the disasters that we see in living, that we see all around us, are often the symptoms of infected and sin-inflamed minds. Listen, what you see in the wreckage of your neighbor's are only the symptoms of a deep infection. 
and the symptoms bear weak evidence to how deep the infection really goes. You see, the human mind infected by sin is not capable of thinking soundly. And you and I are foolish when we expect such an infected mind to think soundly. Why should we? Why should we think it would? A mind so infected by sin cannot think soundly. Listen, it is impossibility. What is needed is a great physician who can change the mind. A great physician who can change the heart. Listen, that, that my friend, is really the only hope that I have for fallen and depraved human beings. Divine intervention. I don't expect progress. I actually don't believe in it. Do you? Maybe you did when you were younger. Progress? Really? You shouldn't. You shouldn't believe in it either. Sin infected minds listen sin infected minds produced sin infested lives so it's no amazing thing when we see filth all around us it shouldn't be wicked sinners living in a technological age can now spread their sins at Speeds approaching that of light in a vacuum. But listen, friend, don't get mad at them. Don't get mad at them. They really can't help it. Sinners do what sinners do. Do you know what sinners do? They sin. They sin. But what about us? Hey, hey, saints, what about us? What about we? We who have met the great physician. We who have been given new hearts. We who have had our stony hearts removed and replaced by the beloved physician with a heart of flesh. What about us? What about us? We've had the infection stopped. It can progress no farther in us We've been inoculated with the serum of heaven. Listen, a real, true vaccine. We've been rescued, saved, turned. But still, I fear for us sometimes. You see, listen, you see, we have fought for so long with sin-infected minds. We have lived for so long with hard hearts, hardened hearts, that even now that we've been healed, it often feels normal for us to think in the old ways. The way that we thought when our minds were still infected with sin. Those grooves are cut so deep, it's easy to fall back into them 
isn't it? Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? I submit to you, brothers and sisters, listen, that though the infection is not now active in us, the residue of its great destruction lingers. And you and I live under a persistent danger of falling back into the old ways of thinking. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Listen, saints, this is a good reason to come to church every time you can. Did you hear me? This is a good reason to come to church every time you can. This is a good reason to put yourself under the sound of the preached Word of God. For the preaching and teaching of Holy Scripture is one of God's ordained means for the instruction and sanctification of His people. I have a Christian friend who worked in a, quote, rough industry. Well, it was construction. Anybody ever work construction? There was a lot of trash talk on the job. And he was vocal about his faith. But he wasn't in heaven yet. And he told me that a co-worker once said to him something like, Really? You're a church guy? I heard what you said when you dropped that tool or, or whatever. You're a church guy, huh? And my friend said, yeah, I am. And you didn't know me a few years ago. And if I didn't go to church, I'd probably be a whole lot worse. And you probably ought to be glad I'm going to church. Well, friend, listen, when you come to church, you're not just saying, I love the people of God and I want to be with them. Yes, you're saying that. You're also, I hope, looking for a meeting with God. Because often, very often, very, very often, it's through the church that God is pleased to bless His people and to feed His sheep. So, you ought to go to church every chance you get. Listen, This is also a good reason to study your Bible daily. Not once a week, not twice a week, but every day. You see, the sin infection that was in our minds has so ravished our thinking. Listen, it has so ravished our thinking that we need unrelenting therapeutic care to ensure that we continue thinking rightly. We need unrelenting therapeutic care. Washing with the water of the Word. What if, brothers and sisters, listen, what if What if one of us here, one of us who's been given a new heart, a renewed mind, 
What if one of us here who has this new mind began to think in the old ways? What if that happened? Well, brothers and sisters, listen. I believe it happens all the time. I believe it happens all the time. I think it does. Otherwise, how could I explain when I see professing Christians spending their time, their efforts, their money, pursuing exactly the same things that those with sin-infected minds are pursuing? If they look just the same, then what's the real difference? Beloved, listen, there's a danger, a subtle and persistent danger to those of us who have had our minds changed by Christ that we could tacitly, quietly, subtly, unawares, slip back into the old ways of thinking and be deceived by the world, the flesh, or the devil. There's a risk. Well, here in Ezekiel chapter 14, there's a blessed reputation of some wrong thinking. Look there to verses 19 and 20. God said, If I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast. Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Now what is the wrong thinking that the prophet is refuting here. Well, I believe that the wrong thinking that the prophet is refuting here is the idea, listen, it's the idea that God is a respecter of the persons of men. And the idea that the righteousness of the godly can benefit the wicked. Henry, brethren, this idea, the idea that the God of heaven respects the persons of men is a persistent idea that is regurgitated from the annals of the libraries of hell on a fairly regular basis. But let me assure you of something this morning. God respects the person of no man. God is no respecter of persons. Listen, the entire early Christian missions program was started because of the divine revelation of this fact. Do you remember this? Let me remind you of what happened. The saints at Jerusalem, the early converts, almost all Jews, they understood that the promised Messiah had come in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they were converted. They were Christians. And what was their early missionary plan? Well, they weren't breaking down the doors to spread the gospel to the heathen. So God jump-started the program. 
It seems like the general message from those early converts to the Gentiles, prospective Gentile converts at the beginning, was probably something like this. So you boys want to get in on this Christianity thing with us? All right. Here's the deal. You need to be like us. You want to get in on it with us? Then you need to be like us. First, you need some surgery. You need to get circumcised. What? And you need to start eating healthy like we eat. Lay off the bacon. No more pork chops. No more catfish. And you need to start celebrating the same holidays that we celebrate. And so on and so forth. But you remember what happened. You remember. A Roman military man. A centurion. Cornelius. A Gentile. Is visited by an angel from God. And the angel tells him, get a hold of a man named Peter. He's down in Joppa, and he's got a message for you from me. Meanwhile, meanwhile, down in Joppa, hungry Peter falls asleep, and he has this technicolor dream in which he can have an all-you-can-eat buffet of forbidden meat. A menagerie of forbidden flesh. Forbidden, but it's all there for the eating. But forbidden to him, a Jew boy. And in his moving dream, Peter refuses to kill and to eat any of these ceremonially unclean animals. But don't you remember? That right there in that vivid dream, God changes the rules. And God tells him, Peter, if I have cleaned it, don't you call it unclean. The voice in the dream says, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. New International Version. And what do you know? What do you know? Peter, the Jew, wakes up. And just as he awakes from his technicolor dream, there's a knocking on the door. And it's Roman soldiers. Cornelius' men. And they say, Peter, come with us. Come with us. And Peter, friend, gets the message. He gets the message and he goes with them to Caesarea. And this is from Acts chapter 10. Listen. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up saying, Stand up. I myself also am a man. And he talked with him and he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know that it's an unlawful thing for a man that's a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. 
Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore, for what intent did you send for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside. When he comes, he shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. And Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. I told you that God jump-started the early Christian missionary program. And He did. He did. And you see, it's not too long after this that the early church has to have its first council meeting in Jerusalem to determine exactly what the requirements are going to be for Gentile converts because God is saving so many of them. What are we going to do? He's saving them by the droves. They're going to take over. What do we tell them? Let's call the bishops together and figure this out. And you remember the outcome of that Jerusalem council meeting. There were not a lot of requirements. Not very many. The Gentile converts are to be taught the Word... And they are to be told to abstain from the pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Acts 15.20 And arguably, I can't prove this, the blood and the things strangled because that would have been so patently offensive to their Jewish Christian brethren. So listen, beloved, the earliest Christian, the earliest divine message to Peter and the apostles from God after the resurrection is this. God respects the person of no man. What did the early church need to understand? God respects the person of no man. The divine message was, if I have cleaned it, don't you call it unclean. Man, you know that even Peter and Paul had to hash this out. Actually, our apostle, Paul, explained it very clearly to Peter in Galatians chapter 2. It was a sticky issue in the early church. One apostle had to even correct another. And mostly because of issues of ethnicity. Jews and Gentiles. But listen, the the error that God respects the persons of men, it's not always about ethnicities. 
It's not always about it. Sometimes it is, but it's not always about it. Look over at this warning from the Apostle James. Look over to James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, the Apostle writes, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons? For if one come to your assembly with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say, Sit here in this good place. And you say to the poor, stand there, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which you're called? They're called Christians, right? If you fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect of persons, you sin and are convicted, convinced of the law as transgressors. Well, saints, Christians, do you know any modern respecters of persons? I do. Probably not going where you think. It's a most unfortunate heresy. And I believe a heresy. And I speak of the Presbyterian heresy of so-called covenant children. You see, the covenant child is supposed to be special because of who his mama and his papa are. The reasoning is as follows. Mama's a Christian. Daddy's a Christian. Daddy impregnates mama, and a baby is born. Because mama is a Christian, and daddy is a Christian, baby is a covenant child. But friend, hear the words of the prophet Ezekiel from many, many years ago. Words we read just a few moments ago. Verse 13, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it and break the staff of bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land, and they spoil it so it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of these beasts, though these three men were in it, 
as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered from the land, and it shall be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon that land and say, Sword, go through the land, so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. If I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughter, but shall deliver only their own souls by their righteousness. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Men, women, boys, and girls will stand before Almighty God in only two ways. Listen. They will stand before Him naked as they came from the womb. Stained by the sins of wicked thoughts and a wicked life. Or they will stand before him clothed in a bright robe. The stains removed by the cleansing blood of heaven's own lamb. Clothed in fine white linen which is the righteousness of the saints. Revelation 19, verse 8. Naked or clothed? Listen. Who daddy was won't matter, friend. Are you listening? Who mama was won't matter. That mama was a good woman won't matter, friend. Every man shall bear his own burden, or Christ shall bear it for him. God is no respecter of persons. Look, beloved, listen, this is a hard idea for us to grasp. We live in a Western society that's had to deal with this pablum of Britain's divine right of kings. What a bunch of absolute rubbish. And it was sold to folks as being as true as the gospel. I guess it was a pretty good deal if you could get in on it. If you could somehow con or propagandize someone into believing that just because your last name is Windsor, you're worthy of respect. And you can send your taxes in. And make sure they're in on time. And obviously somebody's still fascinated by this garbage because the so-called royals get regular press coverage here in America. What a joke. Prince Charles thinks he's better than any other Brit. 
Because he's a Windsor? Because he's got a necktie knot named after him? I thank God I'm a Christian because I can almost see myself with a sharp knife in one of these revolutions. One of my favorite movies is Braveheart. But let me remind you, lest you forget, how God made the first Jew. Because, you know, they're really special. Do you know how God made the first Jew? The first Jew was Abraham, Father Abraham. And God made him a Jew, listen, by calling him. He told him, get up and go. And Abraham got up and went. That's it. Friend, that's it. And for that obedience, he was blessed. Listen, my friend, God can make stones cry out. God can make a preacher out of a donkey. He is no respecter of persons. He doesn't respect you, friend, and He doesn't respect your children. If you are safe with God, my friend, listen, if you are safe with God, it can only be because you are in the Beloved. God is no respecter of persons. (laughs) As a matter of fact, the great apostle Paul tells us that for some reason, God actually delights to save the most unrespectable folks. It's always risky to attribute emotions to God. But He seems to delight. He seems to really get a kick out of saving the most unlikely folks. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, You see your calling, brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world. What are you talking about, Paul? Oh, I'm talking about y'all. To confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world. Who are you talking about, Paul? Y'all. The weak things of the world. To confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world. And things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not. To bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. Now, friend, I hope that you see from the words of the prophet Ezekiel that the righteousness of the godly cannot avail for the ungodly. He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Colossians 3, verse 25. Well, brothers and sisters, listen. If this is the case, and I certainly believe it is, it ought to stir us up to our duty to preach the gospel. And I'm not here speaking of the preaching of a preacher in a church. 
I'm here speaking of your responsibility to preach the gospel to your children with gentle and loving words. Make the good news that God has come to save sinners through Jesus Christ a message that is very familiar to your children. Who knows? Who knows? Even though God is no respecter of persons, He delights to save sinners. And don't you understand that your children are sinners? They're not covenant children. They've got a pact with hell. They need to be saved and rescued just the same way all of us did. Beloved, you're just way down the line. They were in Adam, just like you. They're fallen. They need to be saved. I'm speaking of our responsibility to speak the gospel to the lost, generally. A candle's not to be put under a basket. It's to be held up high so that its light can dispel the darkness. I'm saying, listen, I know that you love the gospel. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. Tell others about it. Good news. They need it. They need it. They need to know that Jesus saves, and they need to know that only Jesus saves. See, brethren, we, we Americans, we've been raised here in this land of plenty, and we've been really blessed. I have. Are you, are you blessed? But there's a danger in being really blessed. The danger is that we, we might start to think that somehow we're special. Somehow we're worthy of respect. Well, look how blessed I am. Pretty obvious. And listen, you might sell that to somebody else, but God's not buying. He is no respecter of persons. He respects no man's person. Listen, the prince and the pauper, the Super Bowl winning quarterback and the paraplegic, the bum and the brain surgeon, the crackhead and the courtesan, all will stand before Almighty God, either naked or clothed. And if they are clothed, it will be with a shining garment given them by Jesus of Nazareth, the Savior of sinners. So let us not be deceived, friend. Let us think righteously and soberly. For by grace we have been saved. And that, not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. We can't brag. No boasting. Salvation is of the Lord. Jehovah speaks. Let Israel hear. Let all the earth rejoice in fear. 
while God's eternal Son proclaims His sovereign honors and His names. I am the last, and I the first, the Savior God, and God the just. There's none beside pretends to show such justice and salvation too. You that in shades of darkness dwell, just on the verge of death and hell, look up to me from distant lands, light, life, and heaven are in my hands. I by my holy name have sworn, nor shall my word in vain return. To me shall all things bend the knee, and every tongue shall swear to me. In me alone shall men confess, lies all their strength and righteousness. But such as dare despise my name, I'll clothe them in eternal shame. In me, the Lord, shall all the seed of Israel from their sins be freed, and by their shining graces prove their interest in my pardoning love. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, save me entirely from sin. I know I am righteous through the righteousness of another, but I pant and pine for likeness to Thee. I am Thy child and should bear Thy image. Enable me to recognize my death to sin. When it tempts me, may I be deaf unto its voice. Deliver me from the invasion as well as the dominion of sin. Grant me to walk as Jesus walked, to live in newness of His life, a life of love, of faith, and holiness. I abhor my body of death, its indolence, envy, meanness, pride. Oh, forgive me, Kill these vices within me. Have mercy on my unbelief, on my corrupt and wandering heart. When thy blessings come, I often begin to idolize them and set my affection on some object, children, friends, wealth, honor. Oh, cleanse me from such spiritual adultery and give me chastity. Close my heart to all but thee. Sin is my greatest curse. Let thy victory be apparent to my consciousness and displayed in my life. Help me to be devoted, confident, obedient, childlike in my trust of thee. To love thee with soul, body, mind, strength. To love my fellows as I love myself. Oh, save me from unregenerate temper, from hard thoughts, from slanderous words, from meanness, or any unkindness. Master my tongue and keep the door of my lips. Fill me daily with Thy grace, that my life may be a fountain of sweet water. In Jesus' name, Amen.